Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk. Hello and welcome to Tech Talk. Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, one year on from the cyber attack on the HSE, just how vulnerable is Ireland? We'll catch up with the Irish team looking to give store retailers the insight online sellers have had for years. Plus, from ads to subscriptions, we'll get the latest news roundup from the world of gaming. As always, you can email the show techtalk at newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Now, it has been one year since the ransomware attack on the HSC. It caused serious havoc within our healthcare system and has cost 37 million euro to date. But that figure could rise to 100 million euro. Before we hear about the threats facing Irish businesses on a day-to-day basis in terms of cyber attacks, uh, I want to turn to Ronan Murphy of Smart Tech 247 Run this time, this exact time last year, you and I were talking and we were doing an explainer on the term ransomware because the colonial pipe in the US had been targeted by a ransomware attack and it caused massive havoc. And then quite literally the day after uh, the HSE was targeted, it's been an interesting and active time for cybersecurity experts such as yourself. It has. It's been it's been a fascinating time and Obviously, um, we've learned so much about the HSE attack with the gang being, who were responsible for conducting that attack actually being an extension of the Russian government. And um, obviously, there was there was one of their employees or one of their affiliates leaked a lot of documentation um, suggesting that all of the direction for those guys was coming from the Russian government. So um, that was... A lot of people in the industry had a feeling that was the case anyway, but for it to be made so public um, was, I feel, was an eye-opener for for everybody involved. Before we talk through what exactly happened, how it happened and so on, one question that I faced uh, from a lot of people over the last year was, what was the point of the attack? Because we didn't pay the ransom. The government was clear from the outset that we weren't going to pay the ransom. So what was the objective and was it met from the hacker's point of view? Yeah, um, that's a that's a really interesting question, right? So obviously Conti have a remit, uh, which is financially motivated and it's designed to get as mo- your hands on as much crypto as, as is possible. And that makes an awful lot of sense for the Russian government, considering uh, the plans that they ha- were setting in motion. So um, I think when you look at it from a Russian government perspective, we were in the midst of a pandemic. Ireland wouldn't necessarily be considered an adversary to the Russian government. Uh, we ha- Our entire health system ca- came to a grinding halt, not just because of COVID, but now also because of the, the, the attack. And I, I think the, the powers that be in Russia said, you know what, we've got bigger fish to fry than um, keeping the Irish health service on its knees. Let's uh, give them the decryption keys back and let's move on from this. Um, I think the, the the scary part about this is that if that happened today, I'm not sure how willing they would be to give those keys back to us. So it 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 highlighted that um, the threat was very real, that it was very destructive, that it was very expensive to remediate. 
Um, but it also illustrated and highlighted that the fact that they gave us the keys um, significantly reduced the cost and the harm that was conducted. Um, and that probably more than likely wouldn't be the case if it happened tomorrow. Mm. I was on uh, Breakfast Business on Wednesday with Joe Lynham and I did a quick report about what exactly happened. And I mentioned that um, the way this all came about was in March, uh, an employee or somebody within the HSC opened an Excel file that arrived in two days previous and was attached to an email. And that was the thing that was loaded with this malware that got into the system Two months passed by and then the the, the software the, the attack was executed, I suppose. Can you just explain why they would have bided their time with that two months from when the email was initially opened to when they pressed the trigger button? Yeah, that's a great question. So you have, when you're looking at cybercrime, Jess, you're not looking at one individual hacking group such as Conti. You're looking at an entire ecosystem. So you could go into the dark web now and you could see for sale people who have a foothold within numerous different organizations, right? Whether it's healthcare or manufacturing or retail or finance or oil and gas. And these are guys who specialize in sending phishing emails. And once you click on the phishing email, they get a foothold within your organization or within your network. And what they'll typically do is they'll try and monetize that foothold. So they'll go into the dark web and they'll advertise that they've successfully conducted a phishing uh, campaign and they've got X amount of companies in different verticals who they have infiltrated. They will sell that in, in what's known as an affiliate program to um, more sinister criminals, right? And and typically what those more sinister criminals will do is they will look for uh, ways to navigate their way around the network to identify what's of value. So for example, if it's a company who manufactures valuable intellectual property, they may decide just to try and steal that IP and sell it for, for millions to you know an, another government or another competitor. Um, if it's a healthcare system, obviously something like extortion is quite valuable because in a lot of cases they'll end up paying. So they would have sold it to a specialist uh, a team of hackers who would have got into the network and then navigated their way around. So obviously the HSE is hub and spoke. So you've got the the mothership and then you've got all of the, the, the voluntary hospitals and so forth around the country connected to it. So they had, they had a bit of work to do in terms of navigating their way from the HSE out to all of the other hospitals. Now, in SmartTech, we protect a number of those hospitals and, and thankfully we, we were successful in stopping it. But the, the other hospitals uh, who hadn't invested in, in, in adequate security were lambs to the slaughter. And these guys figured out where all the hospitals were, which ones they wanted to successfully target. Um, and then when they had mapped all of the data, when they did exfiltrate that data off the hospital and the HSE systems, they then encrypted and started the whole process of the negotiation and the extortion where they were looking to get paid in crypto. Okay. The, um, it's a long-winded answer, I apologise. No, 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 but I think it's important that we gain this understanding and fully appreciate that, you know, just because something is executed on X date, that doesn't mean that's when... The, the secure the system was infiltrated and I think there is that that disparity and I think people need to understand and appreciate that I want to ask you a question that again a lot of people have asked me and I don't know the answer but you know you mentioned there that uh, smart tech 247 works with a lot of hospitals or some of the hospitals 
the PwC report that was carried out into the cyber attack found that tripwires were triggered, but an investigation or action wasn't taken. Does having cyber security teams and having things like antivirus, does that prevent an attack or does it just slow down the process and do a bit of damage limitation? So, okay, uh, that's, again, it's another really uh, good question, right? So when you look at, if, let's use the analogy for your listeners of if you're trying to protect a warehouse, okay? Mm-hmm. And the way I would look at the warehouse being from the from when you look at antivirus or firewalls or any of those tools, they're like the fence or the, the lock which you put on your door, right? Um where cyber because cybersecurity has become so sophisticated the burglars in this case learn how to climb over the fence or they learn they learn how to cut the the lock on the door right and that's your antivirus and your your firewalls and those different tools um so for for physical security for protecting your warehouse companies have had to innovate where they use uh, monitoring technologies like live cctv where people are looking at the cameras and it's you know if the guy climbs over the fence with the bolt cutter someone can see him and, they, and they'll, they'll say to them look i can i can see you you're you, you know you're the police are on their way and it's identical for cybersecurity. um companies have invested in all of these high fences and these locks under doors but when something goes wrong if someone's not looking then they simply climb over the fence and they cut the bolt. The hospitals who were successful in preventing this had people looking. So they had people looking in real time and those people could see that there was an attack coming and they were able to shut it down. And so I I think that that analogy helps simplify it. There's hundreds of different tools, but unfortunately you do need uh, humans as well. You need people looking at what's happening. And, And that's where the problem lies. Globally, Jess, it's estimated there's over 2 million job vacancies in cybersecurity. I mean, it's a huge pressure point globally. Um, it's a very complex job. It's a very technical job. It's a very demanding job. Um, and as many people leave the industry or is, are, are joining the industry, but the bad guys are reinvesting, they're hiring, they're innovating, they're attacking more, they're making more money. So it's, it's, it's a vicious circle. Um, and I think this, the simple question you'd ask when, how are we doing now? Well, if your hospital is being monitored and if you've got invested in the tools and technologies and if you've people eyeballing it 24 hours a day, seven days a week, then you're, you're, you're up to standard. If you don't, you're simply not. I've heard from a lot of businesses, particularly small and medium businesses um, over the last number of months, who've been targeted by different kinds of cyber attack. And I was very pernickety when the ransomware attack happened on the HSE to to call it a ransomware attack because there are different kinds of attacks. Um, But some of these businesses have been targeted by ransomware. Uh, They'd have maybe between 40 and 100 people working for them. They wouldn't have the kind of money that you'd get from the likes of the HSE if they were to pay up. But they're being targeted. And they're saying they're not going to Angarda Siakana because they're not confident that anything can be done about it. And they're also not confident that it's worth the reputational damage. What would your take on that be? So I think they're, I mean, they're right. Uh, if you've been hit with a ransomware attack, if you notified it, I'm not saying you should not notify the authorities um, and the powers that be, but, but it's simply a statistic, okay? 
there's not a lot you can do if it's if it's um uh, invoice fraud redirection or funds transfer then there's definitely stuff you can do with with law enforcement if it's a ransomware attack it's you're basically you know you're contributing to a statistic um is there reputational damage? Yes, there's absolutely uh, reputational damage with it. Um, it I, I guess the, the reporting of it depends on the, 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 the what exactly has happened, right? So if you're a, even if you're a mid-sized company and you handle a lot of personally identifiable information regarding um, uh, your your clients, then obviously you you need to notify the data protection commissioner. Um, if you manufacture bolts and you don't uh, have any personally identifiable information um, and, and there's no indication that that data has been stolen, you've just been encrypted, you know, then then it's really a case of of, of seeing can you rebuild your business, you know. Mm. But it's, it's look, it's a grey area. Um, a lot of people have differing views on it and I appreciate that. I think the, the pragmatic reality of it is, is that if it's a, if it's a, if it's a pure um, encryption attack, then um, there's not a lot anyone can do about it. You either negotiate or you don't. The last time we spoke, um, you painted a very stark picture of how, although we've been through the mill, we're not anywhere near the end. We're not even near the middle of this yet. Um, if you are a small and medium business, if you haven't allocated money to cybersecurity, is now the time to do it? Unequivocally, unequivocally, it's... Um... And look, you you probably see it through a lot of your 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 journalism work and so forth. But the um the scale of attacks is enormous. It's absolutely enormous, and it's targeting every size company. And as you rightly said a moment ago, a lot of these companies are not sticking their head above the parapet to to say it's happened because they're they're worried about the fallout or the you know um, possible brand damage to their name. But it's happening th- thousands of times a day. And we see the fallout of this every single day. And, you know, a lot of a lot of times people might might accuse me of selling fear, uncertainty and doubt. But um, if you sat in, in, in my seat for a day and you, you see the damage and the fallout this has on organizations, it's incredible. I mean, it, it destroys it destroys companies. It costs them huge sums of, of money to try and remediate and fix Um in, in, in some horrible circumstances, they end up, end up paying these criminals hundreds of thousands of, of euros, um, which, you know, is something I certainly don't condone. But, you know, in, in, sometimes they have no choice. They have to do it or their, their company is gone. So it's um it's 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 a very, very, very challenging environment. But I, I could not uh, overstate how important it is that you have your security up to a good standard. And it's I think it's a line I use every single time we speak, Jess. If you're being chased by, if you're with someone, you're being chased by a bear. You don't need to be faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than the person you're with, right? And 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 what I mean by that is that if you're a, a law firm, you know, have the basics done right. Have your firewalls. Have your antivirus. Have the baseline investment that you need to make. Um, and and the, there's so much low hanging fruit in terms of companies that are not doing it correctly. They'll they'll just go after the, the slower the slower person and they'll eat them. Um, if 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 you've got if you're up to a relatively good standard, it's just too much hassle. It's not worth it for them. That was Ronan Murphy of Smart Tech Two Four Seven. Now, I recently spoke to Colin Baker of Laptop Lab, which offers cybersecurity support to businesses around the country. He told me about a recent spike in attacks that have targeted Irish businesses. Monday morning, we received a, a barrage of phone calls and emails with the problem of not being able to access their data. 
And in some cases, not all cases, there was an email or a pop-up message uh, explaining from the culprit that their data had been encrypted and that the only way that they would receive the decryption key, the code to access that data, would be by providing a fixed fee by Bitcoin to a particular recipient. It happened to a lot of people in the medical community, particularly smaller businesses. There is a, a narrative of don't deal with the criminals, but ultimately we've had to do so on a number of cases because it was the only avenue to getting the data back. But for businesses up and down the country, and you sort of alluded to the fact that these can be small businesses, their first phone call now is to someone like you and your team mm. rather than to the guards. Law and the guards are very, very good at what they do. The downside of technology, and we often talk about how quickly it moves. The problem with the law, and the, and the, the, or at least the challenge for the law and for the Garda Siakona, is that they work with established protocols, established expertise, and that is established over decades. Unfortunately, these new crimes I mean, we talk about a zero hour. This hit us on Monday morning. On Saturday, I didn't know anything about it. So it requires such a radical move um, and, and collection of protocols and actions that it's not something that the guards are ready for. Now, in fact, I happen to know, and we do a little bit of work, and we, we're always talking to the guards about various matters, and they are actually upskilling some of their people and developing new protocols and new departments and new technologies and resources to be able to handle this. But like all big beasts and all big organizations, they take they take a time to move and there's really no way around that. A small company, as you know, with five people can make decisions on the fly. A large organization with thousands and thousands of people and thousands of service users, uh, they just take that little bit longer. Technology and certainly its criminal aspect takes advantage of that slowness, if you like. That was Colin Baker of Laptop Lab. I would love to hear from you. Have you been targeted? Are you an SME that is yet to invest in your cybersecurity infrastructure? Tech Talk at Newstalk.com or uh, drop me a tweet at Jess Kelly NT. When we come back here on News Talk, John Riley will bring us up to speed on how gaming companies are increasing subscription models and in-game advertising. Tech Talk. Tech Talk on News Talk with One Sonic. High-definition audio noise-cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com. Techtalk at newstalk.com, as ever, is the email address if you want to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. Uh, and it's now time for the Gaming News Roundup and John Riley, editor of TheEffect.net, is with me now. John, how are you? I'm very good, Jess. It's good to see you. Yeah, it's nice. You're actually in studio for the first time in, what, two no, years? Yeah, at least. Yeah, no more Skypes, no more Zooms, no more disconnections. Yeah, no, this is good. It's actually sensational uh, <laughs> and I'm very excited about it. Um, so you have put together a very... Uh, meaty roundup of all the gaming news but before we get to your news mm. I need to tell you about my news yes I've lost about 180 hours of my life playing Animal Crossing on the Nintendo Switch Jesus like yeah. I, yeah. what does, it tells you the, oh, it does tell you the time yeah. you know Yeah. but you don't regret any of it like I've done nothing but bitch and moan about how overworked I am, how tired I am <laughs> how I don't have time to eat and yet I've found 180 hours since February to Just play shows you. 
since February. What? Yeah. This year? Yeah. I um, That's probably another <laughs> whole segment of a show to talk about. But <laughs> look at you've always said you want a game to turn off your brain or chewing gum for the brain and yeah. I get all that. And Animal Crossing is on the Switch as you said and it's one of the most popular games on the whole. It's like 40 million units of sold. So like you're not alone. And like for me as a gamer I like it a bit more intense and not too mental but like Animal Crossing is full on like take a back seat, life can relax for a minute, and like you, you, you t- like I haven't actually played it ever. Oh, okay. So you tell me. Okay, so the idea is you set up your little character, and my avatar lady looks exactly like me. Glasses and all. Big round head, <laughs> fringe, glasses, chip on the shoulder, the whole shebang. <laughs> and the idea is that you go to this remote island. Uh, you go up to this little bear yoke and the idea is that you have to try and make this really remote, neglected island livable, ah. not only for you, but for other um, characters that come yeah. along. And I could see why it's very popular with kids and I could see why it's very popular with people like me who just want that chewing gum for the brain. Yeah. Um, like you complete little tasks, but you're not under pressure. There's nothing against a timer. Yeah. There's no one shooting at you. Like you basically you do gardening but in a virtual world so when it's been lashing rain and I haven't been able to do my balcony I've been doing my farm you've been tending to your own virtual crops well yeah which is pathetic right but I really enjoy it I've been playing it when I'm on the Lewis in and out of town yeah I've been playing it you know coming home from work just trying to shut down instead of watching something on the TV I've been doing that or double screening um, but my boyfriend actually bought me the Switch Lite. Oh, nice. Yeah, so yeah, I yeah. had been using his old, the original Nintendo Switch. And a really irritating thing was happening, and I would love to hear from you if it's happened to you as well, techtalkatnewstalk.com. Um, the Joy-Cons on the side, it kept on coming up that they were loose. Even though it was the, the light version. No, so this is the original, oh, the, the reason yes. we got the, the light. Because they looked like they were disconnecting or something. Yeah, oh. which was really frustrating. Yeah. And also the battery life was shocking. Oh, anyway, yeah, yeah, he yeah. got me the light. It's slightly smaller, right? Mm-hmm. But the screen is far superior. Okay. The Joy-Cons don't come off, which doesn't bother me at yeah, all because I just play it handheld. It. Yeah. it is so much lighter. Quite literally in the name, yeah. Oh, but the, for me, with someone like me who's got tiny hands, <laughs> it's just perfect because yeah. you're not getting that the, the strain. I know it sounds ridiculous, but it does make a difference. You were the perfect demographic. The person that's commuting doesn't connect to a TV. That's what, exactly what the light was for. And you, as you said, it's you're able to switch off on the couch without even taking over the TV. It's just the perfect console. Animal Crossing is the perfect game. But I need a new Animal Crossing. So I'm asking you... What do I play now? I'm never going to leave Animal Crossing. I've decided this is my life now. So I need a game where I'm not being shot out, shot at. <laughs> I'm not being uh, put up against a timer. There's some little tasks to be doing, but there's nothing that's going to stress me out. I know there's one coming that's, and I don't know if it's paid too close to Animal Crossing for its own good, because it's almost like that's, you know, that's basically the same game, but with better visuals. Like they seem to have upgraded. The, I, it's coming from this small indie studio. Now, forgive me, because I actually can't think of its name off the top of my head. But when I watched the video, I was like, that's just like a prettier version of Animal Crossing, but similar kind of context. You're mending to things. You're building up a little village. Okay. And I think you could play it on kind of any console, really, or maybe on your phone even. But yeah, apologies. I don't know the name or uh, after, but I'll, try, I'll find it out for you and I'll pass on pass on the recommendation and we can tell your listeners about it as oh, well. Oh, I would be all about it. Or if you have a suggestion for me, yeah. email techtalk at newstalk.com. Uh, you'll find me on Twitter as well at Jess Kelly NT I need another Animal Crossing <laughs> urgently um, but that's enough about me let's turn to actual gaming news and there is a lot going on yeah like every like every day there's something happening so yeah it's been a busy month it's been a busy six weeks because we're going to be covering a few bits here that have been more than a month old or kind of been kind of announced um, but we have been given updates to certain parts of these stories mm-hmm. that uh, your audience might be interested in alright so let's uh, turn our attention to the PlayStation Plus 
Plus relaunch. Um, so what is the latest on this one? So basically, this is uh, Sony's uh, rebranding, or should I say, kind of re-emerging of their subscription services to kind of compete with the X. I've, I've spoke about the Xbox Game mm-hmm. Pass how incredible much how incredible value that is for for gamers on the Xbox consoles and there's also a version for the PC so now PlayStation have, have finally announced there at the end of March early April that they're rebranding their PlayStation Plus Plus we're both getting the plus wrong yeah. PlayStation Plus uh, subscription so they're merging their own streaming service which was called PlayStation Now into PlayStation Plus so now there's really just going to be PlayStation Plus for PlayStation gamers to subscribe to starting on the 22nd of June I think it's hitting Europe and uh, including Ireland uh, all going to plan so with this new subscription service there is going to be three tiers so yes this is kind of like Netflix isn't yeah, it right so you can ha- you can pick and choose depending on what kind of features you want yeah exactly so the more you pay the more you get so, okay yeah so you start off with PlayStation Plus Essential which mm-hmm. really is just PlayStation Plus but they've just added on the word essential to kind of differentiate from the other tiers. So any of your listeners that have this already will know you get two monthly downloadable games for PlayStation 4, PlayStation 5. You get exclusive discounts. You get a bit of cloud storage for saving your games and then online multiplayer access. So kind of bare bones, but like it does what it says in the tin. That comes in about $8.99 a month or you like PlayStation are doing some really good value if you go for the yearly kind of subscription. Yeah, like Disney does. Exactly. If you sign up for the year, you're saving a lot of money. This is like, it goes up to just fifty nine ninety nine for the entire year rather than nine euro a month. So there's a bit of saving to be had there. And although that is the bare bones offering, that's a lot. If you're someone like me who's like an intermittent gamer yeah. or if you're someone who just likes, you know, on the weekends, maybe sitting down and maybe playing one or two games a month. Yeah. This that is, kind of sounds ideal. This is what game anyone that has a PlayStation that wants to play online, you will need this because as I, as I said there at the end, it, it gives you access to online multiplayer. You can't really play with your friends online mm. on on mo- basically all titles on the PlayStation console, anyways. If you don't have this subscription, so it's kind of I don't want to say mandatory for online gaming, but it kind of is. Okay. So it's eight ninety nine a month, as I said. Next, then we'll jump up to the second tier, which is PlayStation Plus Extra. So you get all the the original uh, benefits, but this a whole extra part means that you're going to get a catalogue of about 400 games back catalogue of PS4 PS5 games you know you got big big hits are coming here as well you got the Spider-Man you've got the, the Returnal game which came out I want to say this time last year yeah that uh, was really really popular and then you're going to get um, all, yeah, all those kind of all bundled into one option here as I said it's going to be thirteen ninety nine a month but again if you go for the yearly plan at ninety nine ninety nine or 100 quid a month it's much better value and you got all that catalogue of these 400 games that you can stream or, or download to your console to, to, uh, to play. So yeah. it's a really good value for people that want all that big selection like Game Pass. And paying 100 quid a year for all of that, like if you think about going out and buying a gaming title. Or 80 quid alone. So it's yeah. kind of a no-brainer. It is for people that are you know not intensive gamers but kind of are kind of gaming, you know, they, they pick up a game once a month potentially or every couple yeah. of months. As I said, PlayStation 5 games now are 80 quid a pop so this is really good value for those guys Alright and then the top tier is yeah. the premium This is the premium tier this is you basically get everything from the previous tiers but this also adds 340 additional games so you're looking at over 700 games including PS3 classics that you're going to be able to stream to your console so these are like some of the old time favourites we actually don't know exactly the full breadth of, of titles going to be included but we'd imagine some of the old times like Metal Gear Solids and maybe Uncharted and whatever it may be from the PS3 era and then even going far as back as the original PlayStation, PS2 and PSP titles. So like the handheld games. the PSP? What a oh great my device. God. Yeah, amazing. So they're really giving nostalgia kind of fans, yeah. PlayStation retro gamers here, um, the option to play these old classics. And, you know, you'll be able to cloud stream a lot of these games on your console, as I said, uh, in, in Ireland anyways, in these specific markets. And uh, you'll be able to 
stream games then on your PC as well, the PS4 games and the PS5 games um, as well. So, you know, finally then, there's going to be a nice little additional bit where you're going to get time-limited game trials. So kind of new titles that are coming, you'll be able to get these time trials for free as part of this package to go, I might give that game a go, um, even though it's like a demo, basically. Back in the okay. day, when you used to get a disc yeah. with all the game demos, you go, oh, that's a good game, I'll pick that up. So this is kind of going back to that nice little game demo, time trial, give you some access. So that's sixteen ninety nine a month. So that's not cheap. But again, you... you, you, uh, you Pay for the year, it's only 120, I know, only, but 120 euro a year for mm-hmm. all of that. So you're looking at over 700 games, time trials or, or time limited game trials. You've got your online game, you've got everything there basically. So the value is really, really good. Can you share this subscription like you can a Netflix subscription? No, this is going to be tied to your PlayStation ID or to your PSN account. So it's going to be Jess Kelly's PlayStation account is going to have this subscription service. So you'll be able to maybe set up a kind of a share a family profile on the console. I'm not sure off the top mm. of my head, but no, you won't be able to go, here's my login. D-. Well, you could, I guess, if you really wanted to, but it, 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 it'll, it'll get messy. It'll get messy quickly. Yeah, it's not as easy as, as Netflix sharing, password sharing. Okay, so like me reading through that and listening to you talk through it there now, it makes a lot of sense to me, and I think if I if I was a serious console gamer, as in with the 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 PlayStation console, I would be very much looking at the the basic pla- um, price plan, if yep. not the middle one. Yeah, exactly. So like the fact you get this uh, option, or you get the variety of choice, which yeah. is then for kind of are you diehard, are you casual? Do you just play online the odd night with your friends on FIFA or Call of Duty? You just go for the eight ninety nine a month, or if you want the whole retro package, you want to play your PSP games or stream them on your PlayStation Five, just for this for the sake of it, you, yeah. you have that option there. So yeah, it's it gives you that versatility and that uh, kind of flexibility of what you want to pay for. If you are someone who, like for example, if you are if you have a teenager who's going to be off school for a few months. You don't have to sign up to the annual plan, but no. you could just sign up for a month. Yeah, exactly. You've got the monthly options there. And they're, like I said, they go up to just as, as seven, from eight ninety nine up to seventeen ninety nine. And instead of buying them an eighty euro game, you pay seventeen ninety nine for maybe the three months of summer and they've got over seven hundred games to play. Like there's some gonna be some big titles on there that they mightn't have got a chance to play, like God of War from twenty eighteen, like Spider Man, like Returnal, as I said, some huge PlayStation hits that uh, are there for that value. Like it's really good. This all feeds into something that we've spoken a a lot about here on Tech Talk over the last number of months and probably years. And that is how uh, gaming companies are going to make money. Mm. So the subscription model is attractive and it makes sense. Now, the figures that you've just mentioned there, even from the top tier plan, they're still not going to make or break any company unless every single person on the planet gets involved and and, uh, subscribes. Another thing that some of the the companies are looking at um, is ads in free to play games yeah and uh, not wild about this one I know yeah see that it, it was inevitable people aren't going to be fans of it it's been trickling in for years now actually when you when, like there's been titles but like I think Barack Obama worked with EA uh, to put his kind of uh, his 20, 2008 campaign into the likes of NFL or I think there was a Need for Speed title so you'd be driving along a Need mm-hmm. for Speed back in 2007 or whatever it was and you'd see a billboard for Barack Obama to kind of vote for him so like this isn't new really but it's kind of going to come into a fore because titles like Fortnite are available to, f- to download for free on PlayStation on Xbox on Switch so technically PlayStation and Microsoft aren't making a cut of sales because it's not a, they're not selling the game so this is a way for these titles or for these kind of platforms be it the PlayStation platform or the Xbox platform to make a bit of money off these free to play games so you could be running around in Fortnite 
playing with your friends for free on say the Xbox and then in the background there's a billboard for McDonald's or for Burger King obviously they'll be quite they're going to I'd like to imagine there's going to be a lot of control over where, what, what age groups yeah. and what yeah so not fast foods but God I'm not really sure new movies that are in cinema new games in themselves so it hasn't been actually defi- defined what exactly the ads will look like but both companies are looking to, to monetize these free to play games I'm not wild about that no but as I said, unfortunately, it was inevitable. These, you know, nothing, you know, everything that's free has a catch. So there's, this is the catch that's finally coming along for for people that downloaded Fortnite for free, didn't put a cent into it, didn't buy any V bucks or any of the kind of the add-on packages. So Sony need to make a cut some way, or and as as Microsoft as well. Yeah, I'm not wild about that. Yeah. Uh, you are listening to Tech Talk with Jess Kelly here on News Talk. I'm chatting to John Riley, the editor of TheEffect.net. We're doing our monthly gaming news roundup and uh, there's been a lot of talk about the Xbox streaming stick. What do we know? Yeah, so it's kind of been murmuring around in rumours even since last year. So now we're almost a year in and this rumour has kind of started to rear its head again that basically Xbox don't care how you play their games. If you, you know, They don't even care if you buy a console. They just want you part of their, as you said, their Game Pass subscription. Mm-hmm. It's all about the subscription for Xbox. Now, yes, if you pick up a console, they're going to be delighted. They make a kind of a cut on the sale potentially. But if they bring out this stick, which is basically going to be like a Chromecast or a Fire TV to your listeners, a little black thing, HDMI port, plug it into the back of your TV, pay for your monthly Xbox Game Pass subscription or your ultimate subscription, a slightly more expensive. And you, I guess you will need to pick up a controller of some sort if you don't have one in the house. You probably pair that then with the stick, you know, over Bluetooth, whatever it may be, or it could be over Wi-Fi. The technicalities haven't been defined, but... You will then just be, you'll have a console on a stick. You'll be streaming all your games on this little Xbox stick. You know, all the, the first party titles, the Forza Horizon 5s, the Halo Infinites and all the kind of the first party titles that are coming down the track this year and into next year. So rumour is it might not actually arrive till next year. Mm. Um, but again, the value offering here where you just go, this stick could be, like the Chromecast was such painfully cheap that it was so popular. People yeah. going, I've just made my TV a smart TV with this For 40, 40 quid. quid like. The amount of people I've sold on that. Now, if Xbox can do the same pricing and get you on their subscription model, it's going to be a killer for people that can't afford the full 400, 500 euro consoles. But if they can do that, why would I queue outside GameStop or Smith's in the Lash and Rain to try and get a console that they can't make enough of and yeah. pay 400 and 500 quid for the privilege? Well, they're, just, it's, they're broadening their audience and their options for audiences to pick up or get into the Xbox ecosystem. Whereas me as a gamer, I know I'm going to get the best picture, the best gameplay quality, the best response time, all that kind of stuff that a diehard gamer kind of care about mm. only from the console because it's connect. It's directly playing the game in my living room off that big four 500 euro box whereas people that aren't as precious about visual quality or latency should we say in terms of how quick the button press comes up on the screen you pick up this stick you connect it to your Wi-Fi or whatever and you're streaming a game in rather than playing it locally it might not look as impressive, but it's still going to be incredibly easier for people to get into the gaming, kind of the Xbox ecosystem rather than chipping out, you said, queuing in the rain for a console that isn't there. Yeah, I'm very intrigued by this. And I do think anything that brings down the cost and yeah. the access to a lot of technology is a good thing. Like we're seeing brands like Nokia doing great work in terms of bringing really good quality smartphones yep. for a very affordable price. Yeah. And as we've spoken about for years now, people are not that into spending big bucks on stuff. They can't. Especially if you're not a diehard gamer. Yeah. It's, it's becoming, a, a, I wouldn't say a smaller and smaller audience, but yeah, the, in terms of the entry point of the pricing of these consoles, they're not cheap. Yes, they've got a lifetime of you know seven to eight years, which is pretty good value for any sort of piece of tech. Mm. But again, it's a big upfront cost. Like, 
you know, this stick will come, as I said, next year, rumoured to be. But also, even prior to then, we could see, like, people have smart TVs. They've got Samsungs in their, you know, hanging on their walls with all their apps, with their Apple, their YouTubes, their Disney Pluses. Xbox are also in talks with these developer, with these manufacturers like Samsung to basically put this Xbox streaming app directly onto the telly. So you mightn't even need the dongle. Yeah. And you just connect your... your your controller to the TV and then you're playing your you know, again your TV becomes the console you don't even need the dongle so if you have a smart TV like that that's kind of a newer model from Samsung and hopefully LG and the other kind of brands like Sony you could cut out the dongle altogether and just stream directly from your telly so again even less of an entry point because you've already paid however much money for your big fancy TV saves you buying another device and you just stream the open the app on your TV and you're streaming on there so it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's just it's the way, again, it's logical, inevitable, and it's great to see Microsoft really pushing forward because Sony, the other biggest, you know, they really kind of started to rest on their laurels because mm. they were so incredibly successful last generation. Whereas Xbox have come into this one with the new consoles, with all of these options for people to get into their into their games, into their ecosystem, and they're really kind of on an absolute roll with this stuff. So when this stuff starts rolling out and it makes it much easier for gamers to get involved, Sony are going to start to really have to set up and see what you know how they can start kind of claiming some of that audience as well. Yeah, I would love to know what you think. Techtalk at newstalk.com. Would you rather the little dongle if it's very, very affordable? Or do you like the fancy notions console, the big console? I think, John, one of the first conversations that we had when images came out of the PS5 was like, what does it look like? Yeah. Is it a Virgin Media router? Is it a, <laughs> you know, Stormtrooper? Whatever it is. Yeah. That is part of the experience yeah. as well, isn't it? Yeah, so I suppose each to their own. Exactly. It's just giving that option, basically, yeah. Awesome stuff. John Riley, editor of TheEffect.net. Thanks as always for joining us here on Newstalk. Cheers, Jess. Tech Talk, Tech Talk on News Talk with One Sonic high definition audio noise cancelling headphones designed in Ireland. Visit onesonic.com. Welcome back to the final part of this week's Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Uh, as you know, we love to give a platform to Irish businesses who are coming up with innovative solutions to issues that exist and one such company is Vision Or. We had them on previously uh, under the guise of Glimpse but Orrin Mulvey and Shane Sullivan are with me now. Uh, you're both very welcome back to the show. As I mentioned the last time we spoke the company was under a different name. Do you want to unveil the new brand and tell us a little bit about why you've decided to change? Well, uh, Jess, thanks so much for having us back on. Yeah, like you said, obviously it's been a, a long time since we were on the show, 2019. And basically, I think before we get started, it's for us, it's all about the retailer. So obviously in the past, it was a media product, but really now it's all based around retail. So retailers are used to getting very rich shopper data sets online about who the shoppers are and how they shop, which lets them optimize their online stores to maximize profits. However, when it comes to the actual physical brick and retail stores, and um, they don't have the same sort of data that they get online. Mm. So what was formerly Glimpse, is now Vision R, and it was created to allow retailers to leverage actionable data straight from the shop floor. So it's a hardware software combination, and we installed an IoT device into a retailer's entrance, which we call the Scout, and it uses machine learning and computer vision to anonymously transform real-world shoppers into online data for brick-and-mortar retailers. Yeah, like Oren says, what we're doing is we're empowering physical retailers with the same data they would get if their stores were online. So as soon as a shopper enters a store, they're broken down anonymously by their visual cues. So they're broken down into footfall, age and gender, product engagement, shop duration, loyalty. And then finally, we tie all that in with the till. And so we have a complete picture of everybody who came in and how they behaved in store and if it led to a purchase or not. 
So just like it does online, we get traffic, profile, engagement and baskets. Okay, so let's just break this down for everyone because it's a super interesting use of technology. And as you said, it's a mix of hardware and software. So to kind of give an analogy, I suppose anyone who shops online will hopefully know that you leave little footprints when you're on a website. They can identify roughly where in the world you are, how long you spend on a website, what you've clicked through, what you've added to your basket, and if you've actually bought an item or kind of left the website after adding to basket and so on. Is what you offer just a physical in-store version of that? Yeah, to some extent. Right, retailers have been leveraging online data to personalize the entire shopping journey. And like when you go into a website, it's it's all the stuff that you wanna you wanna shop for, and that really encourages spend. But when it comes to the physical side of things, that data has never existed up until this point because the technology wasn't really there to do it. And so that's where we kind of came about. The most important thing is that uh, this came about. We built the company in 2017 when GDPR came into law, so it's only ever existed in a kind of GDPR environment. So it's all based on anonymous crowd metrics. There's a thousand people into the store today. This is the age and gender breakdown. No photos or videos are ever stored. So our AI runs on the device in the store itself and only sends back anonymous metadata. I suppose I'm a devil for this. Say if I go to Dundrum Town Centre as an example, I might go in there to kill time. I might walk into a store to kill time or I might go in with the clear intent of buying a product. Can the software identify and distinguish between those who go into kind of window shop versus uh, go in and aim towards a particular part of the shop? So basically there's two core setups for using Glimpse. So one is, like I said, above the retailer's entrance. Another one might be a key areas in store. So the moment that a shopper decides to walk in store, they're immediately captured anonymously and broken down into things like we said, you know, footfall, age, and gender. The other devices that are further in the store can actually then measure interaction with specific areas or products. And then lastly, we have the till information. So we can see things like conversion rates, sales penetration rates, and obviously interested profiles. But the difference like it is online is that online, they might actually know it is Jess Kelly, or they might actually just track your full journey start to finish. Within the guides of data protection, we can only understand anonymous metadata, interest and sales. And it's not about tracking, for instance, Shane O'Sullivan. It's just understanding there is a 25-year-old mail-in store. Now, Visionor is very good at uh, analyzing who is not making a purchase. Because what's just important to these retailers is not what you bought, but what did you get to the point of purchase with and decide not to buy? So for some of our retailers, we were analyzing who was walking by their promotional shelf ends without engaging. That kind of stuff is really important. In terms of the profiling and the guesstimates about age and gender, how exactly does that work? So basically, just as a juxtaposition, in the US, or some people might be aware of things like facial recognition. That is essentially taking a picture of someone's face, holding it in memory, and looking out for the face again to spot them again. So that obviously isn't allowed in many states within the US and obviously in Europe under the guise of data protection. So the way that ours works is very simple. We basically train models that can guess age and gender, and we install them locally on our devices, so on the scout that's in the store. And then as shoppers are seen, our device guesses age and gender and guesses age brackets, you know, 20 to 30, 25 to 30, every second that they're within frame. And then it's just that anonymized metadata that is sent off to the cloud that the retailers can access. Yeah, so we have these models that run on the edge. And basically it's what we call a neural network model. It's a computer that's been trained over months and months and months to be very accurate at guessing these kind of things. 
And just to reinforce, before anyone freaks out, as you said, this has only uh, existed in the world of GDPR. There's no data stored. It's all anonymized. Can you just spell out some examples of the types of retailers that use your products and the types of insights they're trying to gain from it? Yeah, 100%. So I suppose what we're very lucky with Envisionor is that any retailer with a physical premises is a potential customer for us. So we have a range of customers across grocery, fashion, DIY, jewelers. And uh, just some examples is uh, the likes of MaxiZoo, Julux Paints. And then a big one for us in Ireland was uh, BWG Foods, who are Spar Eurospar Mason Landis. So some of the examples of work that we would do would be things like marketing attribution. So, you know, if I spend 10,000 euro on Google Ads to target 18 to 24 year olds in Dublin city centre, are they who walks actually in store? And, you know, what do they engage with and what could lead to a purchase? And another example would be promotional shelf activity. So retailers generally run promotional activities for three weeks at a time. And we were able to go in and measure the effectiveness of these, recommend changes, which yielded a very beneficial return on investment for BWG Foods. And that case study in itself caught the attention of Spar International, who have 13,500 partners across 48 countries, who we are now the preferred supplier of for real-world Gamorra analytics. Yeah, there's a big appetite internationally. We're bringing a lot of new insight to these retailers. And like Oren said, there's hundreds of different use cases. Some of the ones that are kind of universal that we have identified are marketing attribution. If you have a spend online on Google Ads, is the person or are the people you're targeting online physically walking into your store or not? Mm. It's definitely an interesting idea, particularly at a time when retailers are on the bounce back uh, from COVID. We know a lot of people embraced digital shopping. We know a lot of businesses embraced websites for the first time, uh, Instagram and other platforms for selling. But I think it's interesting to give retailers, physical retailers, the insights that a lot of digital retailers have had for quite some time. Um, you've also, aside from the rebrand and, you know, adding to your client list, you've done a bit of fundraising as well and it's gone quite well. Yeah, we've just completed a 1.5 million euro investment round and that was led by Delta Partners and they're backed by Bank of Ireland. So the new investment is going to allow us to scale the company internationally, focusing on really quick growth in the UK and the EU while growing the technology team here in Ireland. Some other investors include Vincent Nolan. He was the ex-CIO for some of the biggest retailers here in Ireland and Sean Mitchell of Movidius. So um, this brings the full investment to date to just over 2 million to, the, uh, to, to uh, Visionor. And why we like Delta is because we met them say on the, the last week in December, after two or three weeks of calls, they were really into the product, they understood it and we closed around within like a month. So they were really fast, smart and understood the product. Mm. Yeah, it's great to to hear that match of people who understand your vision. Um, we've heard a lot about different innovations for the bricks and mortar retailers, whether that is Amazon Go or you know, there's a few different companies who that do that type of thing now. Um, is that something you'd be interested in, or are you very much focused on the analytical side of it all? So I suppose you know, with the name change from Glimpse to Vision, or you know, a lot of it is actually based around the company's vision. So today, and what we want to be in the future is the retail nervous system. So like I said, as of today, the moment someone crosses the barrier in store, we can understand some very basic visual cue data about them and their activities and purchase behavior. But in the future, we want to just not cycle that information back to the store, but then also pulsate the information back out, meaning that whether it's electronic shelf edges, you know, we can actually have dynamic prices depending on how many people are in store or who's in store or what's being purchased. 
or actually tie in with this frictionless shopping experience like your Amazon Go or MasterCard uh, lab. Yeah, the retail store of the future should be connected. It should be reactive. It should change based on the people coming in the door, just like it does online. And that's what we're building towards. Yeah, because I think, you know, personalizing the shopping experience is something that e-commerce has kind of had a monopoly on. And obviously it increases revenues, but it also makes for a greater shopping experience for the consumer. And that's where we want to work towards. What's really important and what we do really well is we make it so simple for the retailer. Retailers are so busy and often they don't have the IT resources to spare to onboard a really complicated system. So it has to be completely frictionless. We can get a store online in as little as 30 minutes and we don't use any of the retailers internal IT resources. In terms of the retailers, how often do they get insights from the software and the hardware? Is it a daily report, a monthly report, or what way does that work? So basically, like Shane says, uh, most of the t- most of the retailers that we work with, whether Ireland, the UK, or beyond, they have very little time. So on one aspect, we want to make the installation, the onboarding very seamless, which it is. On the other aspect, we want to make it extremely easy to have a touch point with their data. So from the moment a shopper walks in store, within two minutes, they're available online, on our online portal. We can also send out automated reports daily, weekly, or monthly. And lastly, if they use any internal BI platforms, we can actually send all of our data to a platform they've been using for years. Yeah, we have a really robust system that we can actually, we have an outbound API so they can get immediate data to their own system, but also we can take data in. If they have a pre-existing loyalty card system, we can import that data and add more value to it. We bring in flight times, all that kind of thing, just adding more and more value whenever we can. Well, I just find it super interesting and I can't wait to see what you do next. Uh, Orn Mulvey and Shane O'Sullivan from Vision North, thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk Breakfast. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.